Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. In 1996, the people of Virginia, Brazil, witnessed a UFO event that would change their lives forever. Só que ele pleinava, ia perdendo lentamente a altitude e ia caminhando. Followed another Roswell, if you will. It is a crashed vehicle that had beings on board. Mas que eles não poderiam admitir a verdade, a população ia entrar em colapso. Nada temos a esconder. Finally, the facts will be revealed. The Virginia case is considered the most well-kept secret in the military circles of Brazil. My objective here is to put some clarity on what took place in Virginia, Brazil, January 1996. The witnesses are some of the most compelling testimony I've ever heard. Meu nome é Carlos de Souza. Meu nome é Cátia Xavier. Meu nome é Liliane Silva. Meu nome é Valkyria Silva. Em 1996, eu vi uma criatura estranha ali. Action! A lot of people in this town have a little piece of the puzzle. Naquele local, eu vi o rastro da criatura pé. Foi onde ele falou que que eu vi era uma coisa sobrenatural. This year, Mark Pelicheres, he had captured this creature with his bare hands. Você confirma que o seu irmão estava de serviço naquele dia 20? Confirmo. After he captured the creature, he developed this infection that wouldn't go away. Foi pro CTI de manhã, 7 horas da manhã, 15 para o meio-dia, ele veio a óbito. This can no longer be covered up. They might shoot us because we're on the property. This can't be denied. Bateram na porta. E aí isso lá para mim. Ficar quieto. Se qualquer um que sofrer uma punição muito severa. This was proof. We pull this off. It'll be the most compelling testimony revealed. Of contact. Aqui, ó. Foi aqui. This is a level of confirmation that only a handful of people on this planet have. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 470. Releasing October 18 on digital is Moment of Contact a documentary that delves into a series of extraterrestrial encounters in 1996 when citizens of Virginia, Brazil, reported seeing strange creatures in a UFO crash, with many dubbing the event the Roswell of Brazil. An incredibly engrossing documentary told with an investigative spirit and featuring new revelations in a UFO case that is as perplexing now as it was 26 years ago. Moment of Contact also marks the latest film from director James Fox, who I'm glad to say joins me now. On the podcast, James, thank you so very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's really interesting, this story. And, and I know it's a story that, or a case that you've been on for quite some time now. I actually 
came across a, a clip that you did for um, National Geographic, like something like 10, 11 years ago, where you were in Brazil looking at these very same uh, events. And, and it, it's such a interesting story. It, but it was from what I read, something that you were kind of skeptical about at first, didn't it? Because it almost seemed like too good to be true. There was a crash, sightings of a UFO um, in this small town in Brazil. What was it about this case that in the end really kind of won you over and to the point where you've made a whole feature film just based on the events of of this of this extraterrestrial encounter some 26 years ago? Well, that's, that's a great question. It's funny because I was making a documentary, my second documentary on the UFO phenomenon in the late 90s when my co-producer, Tim Colvin, tells me about this, this tale of a UFO crash in Brazil, and that, uh, and he's British. He's like, bloody hell, mate! These these live aliens walking through the town. Mm. And I said, Tim, basically go sell crazy somewhere else. I don't have time for this crap. This clearly didn't happen, and if it did, the whole world would know about it. Please don't waste my time. And he was, he was kind of upset a little bit with me. I mean, he was. He said, you know, that I was very dismissive, and um, I actually gave him a credit in this film. In the back, a special thanks all these years later, 22 years later, 23 years later. And because I now believe this case happened. Hmm. And what did it take? It took a preponderance of eyewitness testimony, both civilian and military. I heard about the case again in 2010 or 2011 when I was going to Brazil to give a presentation on, on I Know What I Saw, one of my films. And I was invited to the place called Peruibi. And um, funny enough, there was a uh, an island off the coast of Peruibi, and I was with Stanton Friedman at the time. And and it was the talk of, like, at this conference, you see that island out there? It's like, yeah, that island has a deadly snake that's only found in one place in all of Brazil. And poachers go out to that island, and they try to poach illegally those snakes and then snakes drop out of the tree and poison them, you know. Anyway, so I was at that conference when I met some witnesses on the Virginia case. And I'd heard from a friend of mine, this guy, Jeff Sagansky, who was very high up in the entertainment industry. Uh, when he found out I was going to Brazil, he's like, you got to look into this Virginia case. And I dismissed him so quickly. Oh, I said, yeah, sure, Jeff, I'll look into it. Click, mm. you know, no intentions of looking into it. But in any case, I got to Brazil. I met inadvertently by accident, no intention some witnesses of the case, people that knew other witnesses that piqued my interest. I went back to Brazil a second time, a third time, and a fourth time. And each time I spent roughly a month there. And now I'm absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that 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 it happened. What I love about your documentaries is that you really approach the these encounters, these stories with a very kind of like in, investigative journalistic mind. And I think for yourself, that's really kind of like almost like a family business. Your father was a journalist, uh, from what I understand. Does the, being around your dad and um, learning kind of like the trade and somewhat from him really kind of inform the way that you approach stories like these? Do you do, really do approach it in a way um, you would like say a story about a robbery around the corner uh, that happened at midnight the night before? Do you approach these these stories in the same kind of way? Or is there a different kind of angle that you have to approach uh, stories in regards to UFOs that are not exactly the same, saying like a, an example that I cited before? Well, I, um, 
My father was a quadriplegic with MS, and he was a mainstream journalist. We interviewed the likes of Stephen Hawking at Gone Villain Keys, Cambridge, uh, race car driver uh, Jackie, um, or, or Dan Gurney, Jackie. I'll think of his last name in a second. But um, I feel like most of the cases like Rua, Socorro, 1964, Virginia, these are cases that involved allegedly beans. Okay. I know what it took for me to, I would say, come to terms with or uh, find any level of credibility in, in those cases. I know what, what a difficult thing it was for me. I, I don't want to sound like to, to accept to believe this is the wrong words I'm trying to find is that um, I'm now convinced they've happened. I was not only dismissive, uh, but I was dismissive to the point where I would refuse to even look into these cases because I just find it so hard to believe that something of that significance, something that compelling, something that overt, so many witnesses, um, could happen and the world not know about it. It just mm. it, it's very difficult for me to to process that. You know, a school landing or a whole town getting cordoned off and beans being captured by military, by firemen, being seen by civilians, multiple broad daylight. Uh, you know, so I approach it in the way that I educated myself on it. And that is, I think of myself in a courtroom mm -hmm. and I'm presenting case to a jury. And um, that's how I put it together. And that's how I think about it when I'm investigating this case. And because I know what it took for myself to come around. And I, I really don't want to come across as though I'm trying to convert the masses into becoming part of my believer cult. I, I hope that's not how I'm coming across because that's not what I mean. I mean is, there's a way to progress to present the evidence in a compelling way that's not going to put off, and that is maintain a neutral position, put forth just the testimony of the people that were there, what they saw, what they heard, and let your audience make up their own minds. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by T Public. T Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you'll love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. What I find really interesting in regards to these case, this case especially is that 26 years later, this community in Brazil is very much still shaken by the events of what happened 26 years prior. Um, and it makes me think, especially in regards to this case, about the plight of, of the UFO witness. On one end, these people go through ridicule and shame, on the other end, there's a very real sense of danger and intimidation that come from different uh, quarters or elements from, involved in the story. 
yourself as a filmmaker and, and as a and as a investigator, how do you kind of approach talking to people who deal with, you know, very complex feelings when it comes to these kind of encounters? On one end, you do want to get to the, the crust of the truth, but on the other end, you're dealing with some very real sensibilities because, you know, it is an extraordinary encounter that these people have gone through. You know, not one witness came forward to us. We had to find them. We had to convince them that a we were to be taken. They were we would take this seriously. I mean, people's not just scared in the sense that the military or men in suits came by and intimidated them or coerced them or tried to bribe them. But there's also like, oh great, so I'm going to put my neck out and you're going to create some silly little news piece and belittle and discredit and laugh at my expense. So you have to have develop a, a certain level of trust. A, that you're not, if they don't want to be exposed, that you're not going to expose them. B, that you're going to take it seriously. People don't want to get laughed at. I mean, they got everything to lose and nothing to gain. In this particular case, uh, I don't think there's a, there's a story I could probably make a documentary on how each one of these witnesses was found and mm. approached and eventually convict uh, can made comfortable enough to come forward and, and share their story. Mm. Uh, and, and this took place over, I mean, Marco Leal and his fellow researchers having boots on the ground. Um, I myself was knocking on doors multiple occasions uh, over 12 to 15 years. Yeah. It was really interesting about this documentary as well, this story is that the three girls who found the had the encounter with the the creature in the field, their first thought about what they saw wasn't alien. It was they thought they saw a demon. Um, there was a particular smell, there was a particular look, there was a and it really frightened them. And it kind of reminded me of the fact that when you're dealing with Brazil, you're dealing with a very Catholic nation. Um, their religion and the spirituality is very strong there. I'm curious, though, when it comes to that community of Virginia and what they've experienced in regards to the extraterrestrial and the UFO, did you find at all a clash in their beliefs, in their belief systems? Did having this kind of encounter, especially with those girls, affect any, in any way their religious upbringing in, in, that, in that very sense, their cultural and oh. identity? Because their religion is very entwined in their culture as a whole. Very much so, you know, and and I think to this day, if you if you if you there's a there's a moment in the film where I'm talking with um, the girls at the site and I asked them, I think, point blank, you know, what did you see? What do you think you saw after all these years? And I think Liliani, there's two sisters, Liliani and Valkyria. And then there's Katya, who was the oldest. She was 21. And Liliani was highly religious. Uh, uh, Valkyria is is highly religious, and um, and uh, I have to say, even though she didn't say this on camera, that she probably still thinks that it's, it was the devil that she saw. I don't think mm -hmm. she believes it was extraterrestrial in origin. Now, Katya and and Liliani uh, said that it was a their whole thought process on it was that today, all these years later, that it probably was extraterrestrial in origin, based on testimony from people like Carlos Sousa who watched the UFO crash and the farmers that saw the UFO in distress and, and the military operations that took place. 
but I don't think that Valkyria has has made that. She, I think, she, honestly, I think she still thinks it was probably the devil. Something I want to always want to ask in regards to the James Fox movie experience is that the voice of your films is Peter Coyote very much in his narration of your of your movies. Um, to me, when I think of a James Fox film, I always have his voice in my head, like in doing mm. narrations and such. How did that kind of come about? We've, I mean, it started with Out of the Blue. Was that something that did you know of him beforehand? Was it just a hired gun at the time? How did it all kind of come about that he became very much the voice of the James Bond film experience? Very funny, actually, because I'm, I, you know, I always, I, I always. I guess I've been naive enough to think like I could pull off getting certain interviews and and, and some of the times it works. Uh, I tried to get an interview with Steven Spielberg back in the late nineties when I was working on my first film, actually uh, probably 97, 98, something like that. And of course I can get it, you know, I'm doing a documentary on UFOs. I get one with Spielberg. Of course that didn't happen. He turned, he turned me down, but he turned me on to the, to the real case. And I approached uh, uh, Peter Coyote. Mm. And to my amazement, he agreed to meet with me and narrate out of the blue. Now, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I said I was doing a UFO film, but to be honest with you, I'm not positive. And I got to the studio, super excited. I think my partner, uh, Boris, was there. And uh, he goes, oh, you're not the guy I thought you were. I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Oh, I thought you were this. I, I thought you were somebody else." And then he, I thought, "Oh my God, no! He's gonna, he's gonna turn me down and leave." And I was sitting there like, "Oh, I can't believe this is happening." I was so excited, and he goes, "Well, I'm here now. I might as well narrate a movie for you." Hmm. So he narrated out of the blue, <laughs> and that's how it started. And he realized, even though he was curious about UFOs, he talked about having met with. There was a guy in Webb Hubble, I believe his name was, and he wrote a book called Friends in High Places. Hmm. And he was part of the Clinton administration. And in that book, he talks about his time at the White House during the Clinton administration. And he talks about two things that President Clinton asked when he first came into the administration. One, who killed JFK? Hmm. And two, are UFOs real? Mm-hmm. Those apparently, according to Webb Hubble, he was very serious. And Peter Coyote was friends with Webb Hubble. And Webb Hubble had shared that information with Peter. So Peter had an interest. He was in ET. He knew Spielberg. He had an interest in the phenomenon. But I think he was obviously concerned about his his credibility as a respected narrator, one of the working with you know Ken Burns, and uh, that he was suddenly going to be associated with UFOs. Yeah. But he 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 saw quite early on that I. I'm fairly conservative in my approach. I don't make any outlandish accusations or claims. Um, I just basically provide a platform for the witnesses to describe what they saw and let the audience make up their own minds. Mm. And we developed a level of trust, and I don't think he would have done a UFO crash if it was anybody else. Final question. You know, I watched Out of the Blue again recently. Um, really interesting. Next year will be the 20th anniversary, so I'll be interested to see whether you do anything with that in regards to any type of... Thank uh, you for reminding me on that. Yes, yes. Um, 2003, I think it was, yeah, it came, I'm pretty sure it's 2003 it came out. Um, Does that mean, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm 20 years older? 
Oh, we all are. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Um, But I was curious, your evolution as a filmmaker from that time in 2003 to now with Moment of Contact, what have you learned in regards to structuring the film, approaching the film uh, over the years um, to where I think, you know, having watched, you know, Moment of Contact and The Phenomenon, those two films in particular, I think are uh, kind of like the quintessential films in regards to these these the, the fields. If, if whenever people ask me, you know, uh, you have any good documentaries about UFOs, I always say The Phenomenon, and now I'm also going to say Moment of Contact because I think Moment of Contact is like my favorite of your films so far. Um, how do you? Oh, really? Uh, Moment of uh, Contact, you like it the best? I, I I love it a lot. I like the I like movies that center on the one story and then kind of delve into the whole kind of thing. A phenomenon I liked as well. But I like the films, um, the, the films in regards to these that center on a one story and then kind of dive into it because then it opens up different kind of avenues for me. Whereas sometimes when I watch something like Phenomenon, as much as I love it, um, I'll be like, no, no, let's let's stick on that a little bit. But then we move on to yeah. like the next thing. Yeah. But Moment of Contact yeah. is my favorite so far. In regards to yourself as a filmmaker, though, the evolution uh, of your filmmaking over the years, what have you found you have kind of, learned over the years what have you kind of improved on over the years to come to the point where to me it seems like that you are making films that are not only incredibly engrossing in regards to the story but also the craft of the filmmaking that you're presenting well thank you thank you Uh, you know it's funny you should you should mention that i don't think i've ever been asked that question before i am an editor Hmm. i'm a director i actually shoot i shoot cameras i david west does all my photography now but i used to shoot cameras i still can and i also fly drones and i do my overhead photography and i do all that stuff and i only did learn how to do it all because i couldn't afford to pay anybody else to do it and my craft has evolved in the way that i have a pretty boring process that you know people get super excited they want to come into the studio with me and watch you know watch my art my craft you know Mm. it's like okay I warn people ahead of time, you like watching paint dry? Come on in. <laughs> so what I do is I'll, you have to go through all the material, all of it, okay? As much as you think, oh, I already know what I want. Mm-mm-mm. You go through it all and it takes months. You color code everything. And then you extract just what I call the GMs, the golden moments. Mm-hmm. If those moments aren't moving, Cut them out. If they're not relevant like that, cut them out. I don't care how attached you think you might be to them. doesn't matter. Put them all in, and then you color code them. And like purple, for instance, and, and you, you put them in a level inside the timeline. And I'll do that to the entire, every interview, every piece of B-roll, everything in the whole film. Now I've got color coded, you know, and then I do James selects. So then I take the selects from those that I really, really like, and I put those together, right? So now I've got all the, the high points, and it's longer than you want it to be, and it always will, and you'll cut it down later. Don't worry about that. And now you've got a timeline of stuff that's just the best of the best. Statements, B-roll, that things of that nature. And then um, you start developing a story arc. And if it doesn't build, then you're doing it wrong. It can go up, plateau, up again, plateau. But you don't want to go up and then down. Mm. It's always kind of up. You want to, you know, level it up, level it up, level it up. So you want to build that story arc. And then this is the way I do it. I wouldn't say, I don't write the story. I don't write the narration. I let the story write itself. And then I stitch it together with narrative. 
you know, a little piece here, a little, little piece there. But I, I put them together in some chronological order that I like that builds the story, that tells the story as things unfolded. And then I stitch it together with narrative. And then I chop it. Then it's uh, then I have to get, then I step back usually for a week, maybe two. And I'll go back in there and I'll look at it and I'll bring some people over to watch some stuff. And it's too long. All right, what's got to go? Yeah. I start cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down. And then I get it to, you know, usually somewhere in the realm of 98 to 100 minutes. And then with credits, maybe 110 or 104 or whatever that is. And, um, and you know, and then sometimes you just had to be brutal. And even stuff that you're attached to, stuff that I might have edited for six months. I've done that before. And I just, like, got to get rid of it. Every scene has got to be relevant and moving. And that's how I do it. And it's effective and it works. Relevant and moving. I really, I've, I've really good, is a really good way, I think, to describe moment of contact. These days, I said just before my favorite of your films I've seen so far and I really re- highly recommend everyone check out moment of contact when releases October 18 on digital um it is a fantastic film it really is and it's really interesting my own kind of evolution in regards to my belief in regards to you know the events extraterrestrial stuff I still consider myself as sort of agnostic when it comes to a lot of these things but um I think the closest I've ever come, to going full tilt into it is when I watch your films. They're that good. They're that convincing in both the craft and the story and the way it's presented. And I thank you so very much, James Fox, for for the work you've done. And thank you so much for this interview today. Hopefully in the future we can uh, talk again. Thank you. That was very touching. I, I appreciate that a lot. It really it means a lot to me. And, it, and it, uh, it's the kind of thing that kind of keeps me going. You know what I mean? So thank Absolutely. you for having me on. Yeah. Appreciate uh, that.